0: Speak today to Mark Selby, CEO of Canada Nickel Corp. Relatively new nickel story listed on the TSXV. We talked to Mark about the macro story for nickel and why it is booming at the moment. The market has also reacted quite well to their listing. Share prices have done quite well, and I think investors are still intrigued by what this story has to give. 11th largest deposit in the world. Mark talks about grays, recent drill results and how he intends to accelerate this project into delivery by 2025. Um, so a lot to get your head around. Enjoy the podcast. Hey Mark, how are you doing? Good. Good to see you again, Matthew. People know we caught up earlier this week and we we're sort of going through some of the uh, macro um, components to do with the Nickel Cycles and Super Cycles and so forth, and we you know, picked up a, yep. a trick or two. But today we're going to talk about your new project, which is uh, Canada Nickel.
1: Sure. This is a, a brand new company centered around a brand new nickel sulfide discovery, uh, which in in just six months of drilling, we've already made it the 11th largest nickel sulfide resource globally on less than 20% of the structure. You know, the key thing, you know, why I have most of my money in 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 this in this company is one. You need to have the right project that does the right scale that's going to attract a major. Two, it needs to be in a location where you can develop it, build it, and develop it uh, in a in a rapid time frame. You know, and three, um, you need to get the timing right. You know, you know, a, a great project will allow an investor to get a, you know an excellent return in, in a relatively short period of time. When you have a great project, which we think we have with Crawford, and you're able to sort of hit the commodity cycle. Um, you know, the key part of a commodity cycle. And again, we think we're hitting a, an, another Nickel super cycle, um, you know, by about the middle part of this decade. So, you know, we think with the right project in the right place, with the right timing, it creates one of those, you know, you know once every decade kind of uh, investor opportunities. And again, said so that's why I've got most of my non-real estate capital in the company.
0: Right. So, Mark, so those are three key points. Okay. And I want to talk about those. But first, I want to talk about your track record. You've been in the Nickel game for some time now, so it might be worth kind of having a romp through that. So, I'm interested in what you learnt during that time.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, I was outside mining for 10-years with private equity management consulting. Joined mining in 2001. I joined Inco as head of commodity research in 2001. So, I've been following Nickel now as a commodity for almost 20-years. I joined after INCO got taken out by Vale. I was head of strategy. We tried to merge INCO and Falconbridge together. It unfortunately didn't work, but uh, um, I left and I joined uh, you know, RNC minerals in 2010 and we took Dumont from an early stage resource uh, to a fully permitted construction ready project. And, and this is a large, low-grade uh, sulphide project. Um, and our Crawford project is literally, it's in a different province in Canada, but just 200 kilometers away. And because there's so many characteristics that are similar between the two projects, you know all of the time and investment that we made in Dumont, you know we can leverage that um, to be able to advance Crawford in a much more cost-effective, much more timely manner. Again, which just means you know better shareholder returns in, on, on the capital that we need
0: to advance the project. Okay, and we're going to hit those points. We are going to hit those points. But I'm I'm interested in the macro here for people sure. uh, who are thinking about nickel. They've been looking looking at the market and going, hey, this battery. Uh, revolution, this EV revolution—it's probably taken a bit of a whack here because of COVID. Yep. You know, is it is now the right time to be investing in battery uh, metals?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's—it's it's the key is to get the right battery metal. And the, the one thing about nickel, it's not just a battery metal. Um, you know, the thing that has created these super cycles in the past—you know, late '60s, late '80s, mid '2000s—and why we think uh, we're going to see it again in the mid 2020s is. Um, Nickel is primarily used in stainless steel, which has been a very high-growth, five or six percent a year material for many, many decades, and so that and that's not going away anytime soon. Stainless steel is still just three percent of the carbon steel market, so that underlying demand uh, uh, force is going to continue going forward. On top of it, you now have uh, this new use of nickel in electric vehicles, and I think you know th- the key thing for looking uh, at commodity is, you know, it's not just about demand. You have to also look at the structure of supply. So, you know, the reality in the Lithium space is there are, you know, vast dried up oceans of salts in various, you know, through the Andes and other places, you know, that can provide a significant amount of of Lithium to the market. Same thing with Cobalt. There's a significant amount of Lithium uh, and Cobalt um, in places like Congo, um, you know, that can come to market at the right price and right time. So, um, and You know, nickel. We have a, a big source of supply in Indonesia, but the, the reality is, is when you step back and look at how much nickel do we need to meet continued growth for stainless steel, and then you layer in forecasts in terms of how much nickel you need to make, um, you know, electric uh, vehicle batteries. Um, you know, there's there's nowhere near enough projects in the pipeline, including you know, sort of developing everything you could possibly develop um, in Indonesia, and so. The other key thing, with with again in terms of your battery metals, I mean, lithium is always going to be on one side of the battery, but in terms of the mix and the cathode, you know, nickel is the element that gives the car the range, um, and it's cheaper than cobalt. So, um, you know, the 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 industry has very rapidly shifted towards eighty to ninety percent nickel batteries. From say one third nickel batteries. That shift has happened much more quickly because of the spike in cobalt prices. So, you know, again, as an investor, you want to go to where the metal demand is going, not where it has been. And so, you know, in terms of battery chemistries, you know, um, know, demand is shifting to nickel and it's going to continue to shift to nickel going
0: forward. So, do you think future demand will come entirely from the automotive industry? I know it's used in the steel, but what's the kind of ratio there in terms of what the future demand looks like?
1: Oh, yeah. No, if you go out to, you know, 2025, You know we're going to need about a half million tons more nickel, and there's about two and a half million tons of nickel produced today, so about 20% more than today. Um, But when you get out to 2030, you know you're looking at you know 1.2, 1.3 million tons from the auto for the for EVs, Um, and then you're going to need another 1.2, 1.3 million tons uh, just to meet trend demand growth for all the other uses that nickel nickel is used for. So um, that's double uh, by 2030 what we we're, we're actually produced today.
0: Okay. And if you look at the use of Nickel in batteries, obviously we are reading um, about Tesla reducing or trying to remove the need for Nickel. And you know, I, I understand that different batteries have different functions, but you, you still think there's a big, there will be a big need for Nickel going forward?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's again, there's a whole flurry of news around Tesla using Lithium-Iron-Phosphate um, for one battery. You know, I think I've said in some talking head things at one point or another over the last, you know, eight months is, you know, the battery and battery system is the is is the primary differentiator for uh, an electric vehicle, just like the engine in a car. So you know, in the globe, there isn't one single engine that's used in every automobile. So you know, in the EV sector, you're going to see um, you know basically a, a low end, uh, short range battery that's just as cheap as possible. Um, and so that lithium iron phosphate is perfect for that, and and you know Tesla in China wanted to hit a specific price point, and range is is not a big issue, um, you know in that market. You're going to have your mid-range bat- mid-range battery, which will be more commonly used by, um, you know, by 60% of cars, and then there's going to be the you know, this is the absolute longest range, the absolute highest discharge that will allow you to go from, you know, 0 to 60 in 1.5 second battery, you know, and you'll have, um, you know, different technologies there. Um, you know, Nickel will play a big role in both of those, those, uh, those sort of the, the midstream and then sort of the upscale um, battery chemistries going forward.
0: Okay, so people are still excited about nickel. It, they, it has a part to play as with with uh, battery metals. You think the demand's there is what you're saying? Okay, so th- that's that's one thing. Um, timing, cycles. Yes. Okay, so you've talked uh, to me in the past about these super cycles and being able to hit it right. I mean, if I if I'm quite candid, you you know you started Dumont a long time ago. It's still not in production, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and I get that you've learned some lessons about the geology and technically and so forth. But why is your project not going to take as long to develop, suffer
1: the same fate? Yeah, no. <laughs> it, it, fundamentally, for you know two reasons. One is, um, you know, Dumont uh, was somewhat um, an evolution of a mining model, and so we needed to prove that that evolution. Um, was robust economic you know robust economically and, and you know could be constructed and, and built and, and done you know in a very straightforward manner. So we had to spend you know a bunch of time on engineering, a bunch of time educating investors and so forth. and and um, you know we did we did that quite successfully. Um, but that did take about a b- bunch of time and time and and cash to be able to do that. The second part is we were doing it during a time period and we knew when I joined in 2010, I knew that Nickel-pig iron was going to be sort of 5 or 6-years of, of significant growth. And um, I can show you a presentation I made in 2008, just saying how big Nickel-pig iron was going to be and what it was going to cost eventually when someone built a plant in, in, in Indonesia, which is what, you know, what, what did happen. And so, you know, again, there was just, you know, we were advancing a project in a metal that, that people really didn't care about at that time. You know, today, um, you know that the you know, tables have flipped. You know, 180 degrees. Um, you've got BHP Billiton, who spent that entire time we we're advancing Dumont. They were busy trying to sell their nickel business um, and and didn't have any takers. You know, and in the last 24 months, you know, not only has BHP said, you know, look at we're committed to battery metals. Uh, we're actually building downstream processing plant in in, in Australia. Um, you know, their CEO was quoted as saying, we need more nickel. We need more future facing metals. We need more nickel, more copper. And then you know, three months later, they put their money where their mouth is, and they acquired uh, another large-scale low-grade nickel uh, project um, in Australia called Honeymoon Well um, um, from from Nurels. So um, you know, they've done a you know complete 180 degree. You have the world's leading mining company, you know, committing capital, making acquisitions, you know, in in this space. And and you know, once one mining company goes, you know, the herd usually follows. So um, we saw Oz Minerals do a transaction to acquire. Um, uh, the 30% of a project uh, called Nebo Babel. Um, they, they acquired a company called Cassini Resources, which put a $250 million value on that. We already have a multiple of contained nickel and resource bigger than that project, and we have a huge amount of exploration potential to go. So I was very excited uh, to see that transaction. I, I knew they were coming. I didn't think they would come this quickly. So you know, as of right now, the three the three good large scale lower grade nickel deposits in Australia are all gone. Yakabindi. Uh BHP is now advancing that to fill in uh, further as their Mount Keith mine wind, winds down. Uh, they've uh, honeymoon well's been acquired and Nebo Babel's been acquired. And so literally in terms of large scale, low grade nickel projects in Australia, that's it, uh, of, of of any scale. So I think it, it speaks, you know, um, speaks in terms of what's to come for other low grade large scale low grade deposits like what what we have at Crawford.
0: Okay, so sounds like exciting time for nickel if you're in a position to be you know, rolled up or absorbed into someone else's business um, and the demands there. So we're we're sort of established. I just want to establish the ground rules for investing in this space. Okay. And then we've got to talk about location. Okay. So tell us where you are, why that's so good and um, you know, why that's working for you.
1: Yeah, there's there's basically three components to location that matters. One is, you know, do you have all the infrastructure in place to be able to build the mine, or do you need to spend a billion dollars to get water, rail, power, electricity, you know, to your project before you can start building your project? So we're literally just outside the town of Timmins, which is a you know 100-year-old mining camp, um, and all that infrastructure is already in place you know, number two is, you know, the community and the first nations in, in your area, you know, supportive of resource development in the broader area, again, in terms of getting your project permitted, um, you know, and being able to operate in the way you want to, if, 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 you know, community and first nations are supportive, then you're able to do that in a much more faster, much more efficient method. And again, this Timmins is an area where there's been a number of project permitted, you know, you know, over the past decade. And then third, you know, you don't, you know, you don't want the government, after you've done all your work, to confiscate either directly or effectively financially through changes in taxes, royalties, ownership regimes, um, you know, what you've you know, spent a bunch of your shareholders' money um, you know, t- taking, to, you know, taking to the goal line. So you know, in Ontario and Canada, again, you know, you know, you, it's about as good a jurisdiction as you can get.
0: So it's good, but permitting. There's something we keep coming across in Canada, the time it takes to get things yep. permitted. So what do you know?
1: Yeah. So the key there again, you know, you know, every country is different um, for sure. Every every province within a country is different, and even you know within a province, you know, it can be can be very very different. I think, you know, what what's great about the Timmins and sort of the broader Abitibi area that spans both Ontario and Quebec, um, you've had you know uh, uh, a bunch of the largest mining operations in Canada permitted during the last fifteen years in a timely fashion. So you had you know within a 150-200 150-200 uh, kilometer radius uh, of Crawford, you've had a Cisco's Malartic project permitted. Um, you've had Detour Gold's um, mine permitted. You've had Dumont uh, permitted in the Quebec side, and then recently, um, I.M. Gold had their Cote Gold project, which is about, uh, which is just to the southwest of us, also get permitted. So, um, you know, again, the the, the local community, uh, the provinces, both Ontario and Quebec, you know, have have very well defined. Um, permitting processes, and when those things come together, you can get through. I mean, you have to spend time getting through it, but you can get through it in a very well-defined basis. There are other parts of the province where you know the uh, ownership uh, and relationship with First Nations has not been well established, and so as a consequence, you know companies get you know tied up in in, in that kind of those kinds of issues. Um, you have. Um, Again, other places where again they're pretty remote, and so you need to build a lot of infrastructure that crosses through a lot of communities and a lot of First Nations groups that you need to get all them coordinated to be able to build that infrastructure before you can build your project. So the fact that we've got a you know we'll have a you know it'll be large but a very compact you know in a single in a single location um, is is very very advantageous.
0: Okay, so that's great, but the question I was asking was timing. How quick is it? Do you, are you waiting? Ten years. And we, we've talked to companies where they're sitting around nine, ten years later, still not permitted.
1: No, this is not no no in Ontario, each of those projects got permitted permitted within a three year window. Part of the reason, you know, that we're gonna have a scoping study done, you know, one literally just a, a year after we've started drilling last fall is because we want to have that information to be able to start that permitting process as, as as quickly as possible. You know, again, so we can be in a position as early as possible to begin construction. Um, you know, to be able to get what we think is a, going to be a good
0: nickel cycle. Okay, well, let's let's come back to the the um, sure. first point you made, which is around scale. Yep. Okay, um, you said that's really really important. So, what do you know about what you've got today? Because you're relatively new, you you can't yep. have that much information. So, um, what, How do you know you've got scale?
1: Well, the, the 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 benefit of A doing it for a similar deposit like Dumont, um, and then the type of deposit itself being sort of a large disseminated ore body. Um, you know, has allowed us again. starts st- We started drilling uh, last September, and by the end of February, you know, we had the 11th largest resource, two thirds of which was in a measured and indicated category. And so, um, you know, we you know we know because we've done the drilling, and it's already that large. And we know we've only drilled off 20% of it. And, and again, because the geophysics has been, you know, uh, very. Inst- it, helpful um, in terms of showing where the resource is, you know, we're confident that we can make it considerably larger and the potential to be higher grade as well, you know, as we continue
0: drilling here. So given that you've got this huge scale resource, why bother with picking up these additional options?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, about a few weeks ago, we closed a transaction that we announced earlier, where we picked up 5 other uh, options on 5 other land packages that have, you know, we think similar ultramafic and, you know, again, potential for more large scale nickel deposits. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm not here to drill my brains out and build a large resource, but it's really about, okay, you know, is there a potential for, you know, multiple deposits in a large district that we wanted to make sure that we locked up what we thought were the best targets. The good thing for us is that the geophysics really does, you know, in, in, in the area we're in now, has been instrumental in really zeroing in on the highest grade part. So, again, what I want to get from those other option properties is not necessarily just a bunch of you know, 0.25% nickel tons. It's really can we find more places to get more of this 0.35%, 0.4% material that, again, is all about front loading you know, the, the, uh, the mine plan and the PA with as much high grade and as much cash flow as possible.
0: Okay. And so you, you've done some drilling. Um, and so, what do you know about the, the grade at the moment then? I know we, we talked we talked about a month or, or more ago, we you we were, we we're talking about some sort of you know byproduct upside for you here as well. So can you just talk about what you've learned through the drill that?
1: Sure. There's sort of three things. So, um, you know, what, what intrigued me about the project from the first four discovery holes that were made was there was this potential for a higher grade core, and so um, that's come through very came through very nicely in the initial resource. So, uh, we had. Uh, 250 million tons out of that 900, um, which was uh, a 0.3, about 15% higher grade than the average, and about 15% at, you know a higher grade than Dumont. And then within that, we had higher grade shells, 96 million tons at 0.34, and within that, you know 28 million tons at 0.38% that come came right up to surface, so that would allow us to start mining you know it is so critical in in a pro, in a in a in a mine development that you know particularly for larger scale deposits if you can spend you know take 3 years 5 years 7 years of feed you know at grades that are 30% or 50% higher grade than your average all of that incremental grade is free cash flow right it's incremental free cash flow which at the end of the day you know that's you know that's what makes you know that's what investors are investing in you for so you know the more free cash flow you can generate earlier in the mine life it just helps the project economics immensely so um, so the, the the things that have come out which have been, been nice added bonuses were one um, we found this sort of separate PGM zone that runs parallel to the nickel deposit it's literally if you think of a curtain or wall of PGMs that's 400 meters high um, you know again that's bigger than most office towers. Um, in any major city, and so you know we've defined it across several kilometers already, and it's basically you know three to four, you know, three to five meters wide, and it's in you know it's just outside the nickel mineralizations. So we'd be we would be mining where it sits anyways to, to push the pit walls back. So um, you know we'll be mining this material, which will be a nice byproduct credit again. It's it's you're mining it anyways. If you can get generate a pile of cash out of it, it just helps the overall economics. And then the third piece um, has been, we have a substantial amount of magnetite, which is an iron iron ore product. Uh, and again, in the flow sheet that is sort of the standard for these type of deposits, um, you end up pulling out out this material. So we'll have that as part of our base case, which would be a separate revenue stream again, which will create more free cash flow um, for the overall project. So that's why I'm very excited to get to a scoping study to be able to really demonstrate to the market, you know, just how robust, you know, we think this project is going to be.
0: And when's the next set of drilling happening?
1: Yeah, no, that's that's a great thing. Again, in terms of you know, I wouldn't wait too long because we've got a whole series of the, these infill drill results coming out um, over the next two or three months. We've got a whole series of metallurgy uh, results that'll be coming out over the next few months as we all you know feed all that into the uh, the scoping study. Uh, and again, those will be some of the. You know, to some serious investors, as they start to see that kind of information, you know, that's the kind of stuff that'll help de-risk it for them and and start to want to get into the story at this stage.
0: So, talk to me about this, because I I normally start conversations trying to understand the mindset of the management team, the business model, how they intend to play this out. We've kind of gone through a process there, from macro down to you know the project and, and the geology, and you know, which, which I think has helped me. Be very clear about what you're trying to build. What yeah. I need you to be clearer, clearer about now is what's your approach to market? Because you, you know, you, we've talked in the past about accelerated timeframes, hitting the cycle yeah. right. You know, so how are you going to do that?
1: Yeah, there, it comes through two sort of key key pieces. One is just in terms of approach, and the other piece um, is around having the right people with the right experience. You know, get involved in the project at the right point. So. You know, in terms of approach, I could sit here and drill this thing off all day long. You know, and, and could probably end up with, you know, the largest n- nickel sulfide resource. And again, a lot of juniors, that's what they do. It's all about, you know, um, we just build, we just develop resource, and we just keep drilling and drilling and drilling. You know, again, we already have the eleventh largest resource. We have, you know, an, enough resource there year for a multi-decade. So, you know, for me it's okay. We have enough on that front we're going to make it way better and it will get bigger as we continue to drill, but it's okay. Now, let's take what we have and advance it as quickly as possible. So, scoping study at the end of this year, feasibility study at the end of 2021, you know, we'll get permits as done as quickly as possible, which means, you know, likely by 2023 we can start construction, you know, and we'll be in production by 2025, 6 years after we start drilling, right? You know, that's it you know for what will be one of the you know you know one of the largest nickel sulfide mines in the world globally so and again where the location is allows us to be able to have you know to be able to move that quickly so that you know a it's it's great to put boxes on a timeline to say this is what you're going to do you know then you have to have the time you know the people and the experience to be able to do it so you know at dumont we did two pre-feasibility studies, and then we did two feasibility studies. Uh, and again, we were, you know, we had to really, um, you know, establish what how to get this type of deposit in place. And so, again, you know, all of that time and all of that um, money that we invested in that, we can leverage that experience, you know, to to this project. So I've got several key people who are involved in the key key parts of of Dumont, uh, involved at Crawford. ASENCO, uh, who I think is one of the world's leading engineering firms in, in terms of developing real projects, they they not only just do studies, they actually build them. Um, so they come up with robust capital cost numbers and robust operating numbers that you know they you know end up getting hit. And so you know we what we have them involved in the scoping study, and, and what we've laid out with them is they'll be involved right through the you know right through the feasibility study, you know, to deliver that by you know the end of 2021. You know, that that's our goal, um, you know, as
0: we move forward here. Okay, so that's 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 quite an aggressive timeline, but like you say, it's easy to say, harder to do, Um, and and I get that. Okay, pre pre fees fees, you know, in production by twenty twenty five, fantastic, but you're going to need to raise capital along that path. I, I get that you're saying to me, we've learned. We're taking what we've learned at Dumont, and we're going to avoid those mistakes, save that time, and save that cost on, on what we've got in front of us. Um, yep. You're laying out a pathway which, uh, for your current shareholders and potential shareholders, to go. I, here are the things I'm here are the things I'm going to hit, and if I don't hit them, you can judge me on that. But the other thing, yep. unfortunately, you, you do have to bring this money into. So, how much money have you got yep. today, and where is it going to get you through to? And then. Presumably, you're going to need to raise the next chunk of change at some point.
1: Oh yeah, no, we. I mean, we raised money back in April, in, in the midst of COVID, um, that'll take us through to what we to deliver the scoping study uh, by year end. Uh, we'll need to raise uh, between ten and twenty million dollars to do the feasibility study. Uh, we'll raise that sometime between now and year end. Uh, and again, the key thing there is to get you know a you know, either uh, some sort of strategic in there or some larger uh, mining funds. Because uh, again, right now our shareholder base is primarily, uh, you know, it was the first round of financing was friends and family. The next round was friends and family and some, some bigger brokers, some of their clients. Um, and so, you know, there's still a, a huge amount of upside because we're, you know, n- none of the major mining funds, you know, are in our story um, right now. So, you know, in terms of, of taking the share price up to the next level, you know, there's a huge amount of room. You know, um, you know, yeah. and, and a, you know, a to be able to bring these guys into the story to raise the money we need for the feasibility study, and in terms of valuation from where we are now to you know where I think you know ultimately this the project value will you know surface in the market.
0: What did you learn at RNC about talking to the market? Because you know the the share price at RNC stagnated for a long time for lots of different reasons. But what what, are you, what yep. learnings are you taking from that to apply to what you've you're doing today with Canada Nickel.
1: Yeah. Oh no. I mean, <laughs> to, to be honest, I mean, we went public at the end of 2010. Um, we we hit a window. We raised 50 million dollars. But you know, at the end of 2010, it was you know development stories were still very um, you know everybody was investing in them, and we went out. You know, at about a two dollar a share price and a hundred and twenty million dollar valuation, I was on the board of a you know junior junior company at that time that also had a hundred and twenty million dollar valuation and had an early stage copper exploration project. I mean, you know, valuations were you know very very high and and like the entire sector, you know, we traded down from two dollars, you know, all the way down to you know fifteen or twenty cents um, in in twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen as we advanced the project through the feasibility study. Um, So. You know, lesson one is is you you have to be you know in a market um, that you know is going to be accepting of your project. So you know that I think you know we're in a window now that yes, nickel is in favor and people want to buy the project. In the end, number two, um, we you know when I joined RNC in 2010, it had been a private company for three years and they had done multiple rounds of financing and to be honest we inherited a relatively sloppy share share structure and and ownership structure and again that was a real overhang on the story when you know you don't have a tight group of shareholders who come in who you know are there because they fundamentally believe you know that we have one of the one of the great nickel projects you know that we're going to see through either to construction or getting taken out um, and so um, you know that was a real overhang on the story for a number of years, and was a deterrent for some of the new money coming in. So again, part of this was this was a brand new company, brand new set of shareholders, tightly controlled. And so again, as we go through these milestones, you know we'll be able to um, um, we'll be able to have that value realized for our shareholders um, as 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 we move forward. Um, you know, and then the third piece is you know what what made Dumont challenging is. Is that you know it was a large project. We had to do a bunch of of of, um, of sort of new work that we had to finance. And again, this project specifically, you know, uh, uh, you know, we, we don't have to do that sort of novel development work that that Dumont didn't have to do. So I don't have to, you know, we we've already you know we've raised the money we need to take it through to a scoping study, and it's a fraction of what we needed to do at Dumont. You know what we'll need to do for the feasibility study is also a fraction of what we raised at Dumont, and so you know again, you know that's you know that's that's why this is you know I, you know I believe you know such a good
0: story. Okay, because I think that's going to be a big part of this is is getting assurances. Well, not assurance, it's hard to give assurances, but you know what I mean. Get a sense of the fact that the market is building for nickel. I think we can safely tick that box, um, and more importantly that. Your model, the way that you are going to go and back to deliver this, is not heavily dilutive. Okay, you don't need to go and raise so much money that the share price just never gets a chance to get out of gear. Um, Yeah, and you you, and you think that that this in a kind of. Because I think the thing that you said there was kind of interesting to me is like we know it 's large we don 't need to keep drilling it because it 's large enough it 's the eleventh largest in the world. It, we can take the large box off and there's and it 's maybe twenty percent of the ore body so we, we can come back to that but it 's large enough to get people interested so on that basis, you know, have you i know you 've been in the industry twenty years, but have you had conversations? How do you know that the big guys are sniffing around you 've talked about bhp and oz minerals there but who else yeah. is is, is sort of sniffing around these? Because not just yours, but there are other nickel projects. And why, you know, what? are they?
1: Oh, yeah. well, I, I know they're sniffing around because they've contacted us. Right. So you know, you know, even uh, you know, again, early stage, just with some of the drilling results and and the fact that you know we could kind of point to you know what the size and scope of it was. You know, even last winter, um, you know. there's, you know, I've been, you know, several mid tiers and several majors who've already sort of, you know, sort of keep keeping an eye on things. And so, um, you know, Typically, you know, where they like to get involved is around you know, sort of scoping study through feasibility study. They want to see some sort of economics around the project, um, you know, to make it an easier sell for them. um, You know, within their organization, if they can point to a third party report that says, "Oh, that says it's worth you know, a billion or two billion or five hundred million or whatever," you know, the number is going to be in the scoping study. But uh, so, no, that, that that level of interest. Now that we've got our initial resource out, we'll have a new resource out by the you know the end of July. Um, you know that will, you know, you know, we'll see more and more interest as we get through to having that scoping study delivered by urine.
0: Okay, so that towards the end. So and when when's the moment you think people will take notice of you? Do they have to wait for the scoping study, or do you think that you're and you've been telling the market uh, the market the story, and you know there has been a you know interest because um, we've seen it. People are talking about you. They're talking to us about you. So. Do you think now's now's the the time? And you're going to say yes, I know. But do you think now's the time, or should they wait for the scoping study? I mean, you you don't don't need to push it um, too hard before the scoping study comes out, do you?
1: No, I think I think um, what you know, it's much easier for investors and other companies to invest in something when there are ten other things that look similar and they can kind of fit it in the box. You know, our challenge with Dumont. was that there wasn't much else that looked like Dumont that was visible to the market. Mount Keith was a wildly wildly successful uh, mine for BHP Billiton for a long time, but it was buried two levels down and, and didn't really get to sort of you didn't didn't see much detail on it, um, you know, from for, for uh, uh, most of its life. Um, you know, now that there's all of the, there's all the data points around Dumont, you know, there is BHP making these acquisitions and some other projects, you know, have advanced. Um, the scoping, because people can't look at 10 of the projects and say, oh, it's just like this one, it will be, I think, very helpful for people to see that scoping study and say, ah, okay, I had no idea that this kind of a nickel intersection could translate into, you know, you know, this much, you know, NP, you know total NPV. Right, and that's you know that's really um, you know what we're going for now. In the meantime, <laughs> I'm going to be pointing that out to people and, and pointing to, to that as much as possible. So again, I think you know we, we should, and, and again, the mining funds get that, and they'll hopefully be coming in between now and, and year end, and then we'll get that strategic uh, you know investor you know really picking up as we the scoping study comes in, and then as we move into the feasibility study process.
0: Kind okay, of Mike, I get it. I mean, ex- ex- exciting times for you guys. You've got to deliver the scoping start at the end of the year. Um, you know, um, we'll stay in touch. We think there's one of the better Nickel stories out there. I think Nickel's definitely on the up again. So, you know, stay in touch and, you know, keep us up to date with how things are progressing, please.
1: Sure. No, that'd be great.
0: Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor.